Our family recently moved into an older home. It's such a cool house. There's a lot of character that you can only get in older homes. But when you pulled up on the property, the home ended up looking more like a fortress than a house. Uh, there were windows that had bars all over them, like security bars. Listen, this house is out in the middle of the country in Ringgold on the top of a hill. Really no need for all the bars. And, you know, the front door had uh, bars on it, and it was a solid, just brown front door. So it's a wonderful home, but it's not very inviting. And one of the first things we had to do when we moved in is, number one, take all the bars down off the windows. And we put up a new front door. And it is amazing how the look of a new front door just changed the entire uh, atmosphere of the house. You know, the house is cool. It's awesome on the inside. But when you pull up, it just it wasn't inviting. It wasn't welcoming. It wasn't evident even when you pull up where you should go. I mean, this is the importance of a front door. I'm a firm believer now on a good front door and what it can do for a house. It's welcoming. It's inviting. It's crystal clear that when you pull up on the property, this is where I go. Doors are important. You know, our vision for 2022 is all people. We believe that God has called us to be a church for all people. This is reflected in our mission statement. Our mission at The Crossing is this. We pursue God's presence, we grow in Christ's image, and we share the hope of Jesus with all people. You see, I believe God wants us to see his kingdom come on earth just like it is in heaven. He wants us to taste the goodness of his kingdom here on earth. And if you look at what he desires, what his dream is, what his heart is, all you got to do is look at Revelation chapter 7. And what you see is all people, young, old, multiple ethnicities, multiple income ratios, multiple languages, multiple races, gathered together and worshiping under one name, the name that is above all other names, Jesus. And so today I want to talk to you about opening up the door for all people. Doors are important in the scriptures. In fact, Jesus makes a point in John chapter 10. He uses two door analogies. And that's where I want to start today. If you would turn with me to John chapter 10, starting in verse 1. And this is what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeepers open. In this analogy, this first one, Jesus is the shepherd. The shepherd is the one who enters through the door. The shepherd is the one who takes care of the sheep. But there is a, there's the shepherd, there's the sheep. But in this analogy, there's a third party. There's also a gatekeeper. Who is the gatekeeper? The gatekeeper is the one who opens the doors. And that's what I want to talk first to us about as a church, is I believe God is calling us as the church, as people of God, to be gatekeepers for the shepherd. We are to open the door, and the first, the first part of being a church for all people, the first part of being a part of God's kingdom and being a church for all people, is that God needs gatekeepers 
that's going to open the door and let Jesus in. This is our first priority, is to let Jesus in. Now, we'll get there in just a moment, but in Revelation, Jesus says about himself that he has authority to open doors that no one else could open, and he has authority to close doors that no one else could shut. Jesus has authority when it comes to doors, but there is a door in the book of Revelation that Jesus is not opening or shutting. We find it in the Laodicean church. In this this is kind of an interesting thing. Jesus can open all doors. He's got authority, except there's one he's not opening. He's standing on the outside, and he's knocking on the door of the Laodicean church. You know what that tells me? It tells me it's possible to go through the motions of church and Jesus not even be present in our midst. Not because he doesn't want to be with us, but because no one has opened the door for him to come in. Jesus tells the Laodicean church, I know your works. He tells them, you're not hot. You're not cold. I wish you would just make up your mind. Are you either going to be in or are you going to be out? He said, Laodiceans, you think you got it all together. From the outside, you seem rich and prosperous. God's blessing you, it seems, and you need nothing. But Jesus says, really, you're wretched and pitiable and poor, blind and naked. We pick up in Revelation 3.19. Jesus says, those whom I love, he's speaking to the Laodiceans, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Here's Jesus and he's standing at the door of the Laodicean church. And if you look at the Greek tense of the word where it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, it means that Jesus is continuously knocking. Come on, think about that. Jesus is on the other side of the door of the church, and he's not just giving a, he's not just giving a little love tap. He's not just giving a little love tap. No, it, it says that Jesus is, he's, he's ferociously, he's knocking. He's saying, Laodiceans. Are you going to let me in? Are you going to keep doing church without me? Or are you going to let me in? Let me be God. Let me come into your midst. And let's dine together. He's asking the Laodicean church to open up. He's saying, quit, quit being so lukewarm. Quit, quit being so tepid. They had no fire in their soul. Their love had grown cold. They were just going through the motions of church, but there was nothing there anymore. If, if something's lukewarm, it means it's not doing anything. It's just sitting there. It's blending in with its surroundings. You know, I love hot coffee. Hot coffee, I love it, but I know I've got to drink my hot coffee fast because the longer I let my coffee sit in the room with me, the longer that coffee starts feeling more like the temperature in the room rather than feeling like the container that it came out of. And Jesus is saying, you guys are, let me in, man. Get your passion back from me. And the words that Jesus used to describe the church is heartbreaking. It says you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. They think they have no need for God. They've lost their desperateness to cry out for him. Yet, after all these things that are wrong, Jesus is still knocking on their door. Jesus is still pursuing the Laodicean church. 
Listen, I know that the state of the church in the West is not good. Our reputation is not the greatest right now. We've been so blessed, we're no longer desperate for God. Our attitude has been one of apathy towards the Lord, but I do not believe the Lord has done with us yet. We're going through a time of pruning. We're going through a rebuking, but God is doing it because he loves us. Jesus is standing at the door of the West and he's saying, who's going to let me in? Who's going to let me come in and be the Lord? Who's going to let me come in and have communion and fellowship together? Crossing church. Listen to me. I want to be a church that opens the door for Jesus. I want to be a church that lets Jesus have his way. So we're going to open the door for Jesus. How are we going to do that? First, we're going to open the door of prayer. Matthew 7, Jesus tells us this. Come on, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who knocks, seeks, and finds, the door will be opened. So what are we doing in 2022? We're knocking on heaven's door until we see a move of God in our day. We are called to pray for all people. There's a prayer culture rising up in our church There are prayer meetings popping up in different places throughout the day. I just don't want a church of attenders, but I want a church full of intercessors. People who know how to touch heaven on behalf of others. God wants us to pray for all people. I'm asking God, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm asking God to raise up a thousand intercessors out of this house that will cry out to God for a move of God in our land. We're not only opening the door to Jesus in prayer, we're opening the door to evangelism. God desires that all people be saved. A few weeks ago, I got news of two different people that were in our church on a Sunday morning, and it was their first time that they had ever been in church before. That blows my mind. Right here in Chattanooga, people who had never been in a church before, they were in church and they heard the gospel. Both had been invited by a friend or a neighbor. You see, there's a power when you tell someone, come and see, come, receive, come, be in the presence of God. Come be and worship the Lord together and see if he won't change your life. Church, I'm so proud of you. The door of evangelism, I believe, is opening up in our city. And this is kind of funny. Last week, uh, a pastor friend of mine texted me on Sunday afternoon and he he sent me a picture of an invite card. It was a crossing invite card. And someone had walked up to him. They didn't know he was a pastor in town and handed him a church uh, invite card, invited him to come to the crossing church. And I was so proud. I told him, look, man, I'll save you a seat. Come on down. So (laughs) I think that's so awesome. We're going to open the door to evangelism and sharing our faith because it's God's desire to see all people saved. We're going to open up the door for people to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. God wants to pour out his spirit on all people. Church can no longer be about just people saying that they believe in Jesus, but they don't act like it. They need discipleship. They need to be transformed. They need the active presence of God in their life, sanctifying them, making them more like Christ. Belief and practice come together. I like, I've heard it said like this, and I love this thought. We need a theology that cannot be dismissed. That's belief coupled with a power that cannot be denied. That's the Holy Ghost. All people to receive transforming power of the Holy Spirit. I believe we're going to be opening the door to the next generation. Listen, parents, you're gatekeepers. Gatekeepers determine what's coming in and out of the door. 
It's your job, parents, to keep a close watch on what's coming in the doors of your house and your home because we must keep out the robbers and the thieves. We cannot afford in this culture to be hands-off because the culture is too strong. The culture will disciple your children and is discipling them even if we aren't. David Kinneman of Barner Research, he said, outside of a move of God, number one, and number two, radical discipleship of young people, we have reached a place of statistically irreversible decline in the American church. Someone's got to stand up and say, not on my watch. We're going to open up the door for all the next gen to know God in a real way. I challenge you. Let's open the door, church. Let's be door openers for Jesus in the things of God and the kingdom of God. Now, after Jesus calls us the gatekeepers or after Jesus talks about a gatekeeper that opens up the door for the good shepherd, then he switches on us a little bit in John 10. Then he moves to a different analogy and he says, you know what? I'm the door. Jesus says, I'm the door. He says this in John 10, 7. He says, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I know this is Vision Sunday. We're talking about vision. But can we just share the gospel for just a moment? Because Jesus is the door. Jesus is the door to eternal life. Jesus is the door. He's the access to the good life that everyone is looking for. Jesus is the door to eternal life. You see, every person, every single one of us, we have an eternity-sized hole in our hearts. Our souls have holes as big as the universe. And so there's an angst inside of each of us. All the money, friends, success, all the lovers, entertainment, it can't fill that hole. And when you're alone and when you're away from the distractions and the noise, you fill that hole. You fill it deep inside. And you see, in order to fill the hole, humans have really two default modes. We do two things to try to fill that hole inside of us. We either turn towards rebellion or we turn towards religion. And the best story I could think of this is actually in Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal sons. Notice I didn't say prodigal son because there's two sons, not just one. And both had a wrong reaction to the love of the father. One chooses rebellion and the other chooses religion. You see, Jesus tells this parable in Luke 15, a father has two sons. The younger son asks for his portion of inheritance from his father who grants his son's request. This son, however, becomes a prodigal. He's, he spends it and squanders his fortune on wasteful and extravagant living, eventually becoming destitute. As a consequence, he now returns home empty-handed, and he has to beg his father to come back as a servant. But to his surprise, the father doesn't want him to be a servant. The father's been waiting for him. The father hugs him, loves him, dresses him in the finest clothes, and throws a welcome home celebration. But then comes the other son, the older son who didn't leave, the older son who stayed in the father's house. But he's angry that the father has thrown a party for this wasteful son. And the father tells the older son, 
You've always been with me. All that I have is yours, but we must celebrate because your brother who was lost is now found. One story, it shows how we react to fill the hole in our heart. The first is rebellion, the prodigal son. What is rebellion? It's when you throw off all rules, all boundaries. It's where you think rules are oppressive. You want to stick it to the man. Real freedom is living however you want to, following your desires. And so you doubt the goodness of the father. Tim Keller says this, every sin is rooted in a character assassination of God. The number one way the devil convinces you to go into rebellion, to sin, is to convince you that God is holding out on you, that he is really not good, and that he cannot be trusted. And you should really just trust yourself. Trust what you desire. You know, I found this to be interesting. You know, the Church of Satan, this is from a Church of Satan's website. It says, Satan to us is a symbol of pride, liberty, and individualism. It serves as an external metaphorical projection of our highest personal potential. We do not believe in Satan as a being or a person. So get this, Satan worship, devil worship is not bowing down to some red being with horns and a pitchfork. The church of Satan says this, Satan worship is actually the worship of yourself. The church of Satan puts the individual at the center of the universe. Rebellion Worshiping the devil is when we put ourselves at the center of the whole universe and we push God to the side. In the story of the prodigal son, the younger son demands that he receive his inheritance now. But the, the father cannot be trusted. The son knows what's best for himself. In fact, normally inheritance did not come until the father should have passed away. So to request it prematurely, this is a slap in the face to the father. The son is actually saying, I wish you were dead. I just wish you were dead and I could go on about my business and live my life. And you know what's interesting? The father lets him do it. Listen, sometimes God will give you what you want. You want to leave the father's house? You want to leave his protection? You want to see what life is like on your own without God? He will let you. He allowed Adam and Eve to take from the tree of the garden. He allowed them to see what life was like without him. This is where we're at in Western culture right now. We value our freedom our rugged individualism. We value our ability to choose our own destiny. Culture promises you can take the pen of your own life and write your own script. We can choose our own identities, our own values, our own norms. It was supposed to liberate us, but actually it has enslaved us. We thought we would be free to pursue our own desires, but really we've become a prisoner of our own desires. I've heard it said this way before, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you ever want to pay. The book of James tells us rebellion will eventually give way to death. You see, what you thought you signed up for looks nothing like what you actually got. You thought life was going to be a party, but it ends up being devastating. You thought the relationship that was the love of your life, you thought it was going to bring you all that joy and happiness, but it ended up ripping you apart on the inside. Rebellion, sin, it's an illusion. Life without God-given boundaries, standards, norms, it doesn't lead us to eternal life or the abundant life that Jesus promises. This son started out partying, but he ends up in a pit. He ends up losing all that he had. He squanders away what was his. That's what rebellion does. Let's look at the older son now. Let's talk about religion. 
Religion, what, is, what do I mean by religion? I mean self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is another default mode of the human heart. It's where we try to make ourselves right in the eyes of God by our own effort, by our own works, by our own discipline. You have to try harder and do better to earn God's approval. Your relationship with God has simply become a checklist of do or don'ts. Maybe even you're watching online today as a checklist, as a duty rather than a delight. You see, religion is not the gravest and vilest of sins that keep people out of hell or keep people out of heaven. The gravest and vilest things that send people to hell is this, believing in their own goodness believing in their own righteousness, thinking they're a good enough person, that they haven't done that much wrong. It's our own goodness that keeps us from the Father's love. Religion, what it does is it pulls up those who perform and it pushes down those and judges those who can't seem to live up. Don't think you aren't self-righteous. All of us have the tendency to slip in. In fact, for most of us watching today, I'm not worried about you going into rebellion, but I am worried about you slipping into religion. It's people coming to our church, they've heard about the grace of Jesus, but when they come, what they find a lot of times is self-righteous people. People who are living instead of out of grace and love for the Father, it's really just a transactional relationship with God. You see, the older brother hardened his heart towards the Father. He was living in the Father's house, but his relationship with his Father was, was more transactional than it was relational. He saw the father more as a landlord than as a loving father who freely provided for him. You see, you can view God either as a father or as a distant landlord. A landlord and a tenant is a business relationship. A tenant provides the landlord with rent. He pays the rent and he keeps the house in order and the landlord provides the place to live. The commitment is all about what I have for you. What can I do for you? And you can do for me. The landlord has a home. I can live in that home. I pay the dues. Nothing wrong with that. That's just how it is. That's how it works. It's just business. It's performance-based. When you see God as a landlord and not your father, when you think you're in a contract with him, you do your part, he does his part, something happens though. Let's say you're going about your life and something wrong happens. Something hard happens. You walk through a trial. You go through something you weren't expecting. And when you walk through a hard time, if you have this landlord mentality, what's going to happen is you're going to get mad and angry at God because you're going to think, I've been paying my rent. I've been performing. I've been doing all the things I'm supposed to do. I'm holding up my end of the bargain. Why are you not holding up yours? And it leaves us very ungrateful. This is performance-based Christianity. Notice what the older son, when the younger son comes back, the father throws a party for him. Notice what the older son says. He starts talking about his performance. He says, I've never left your house. I have always served you. I never did what that other son of yours did. And you've never done anything like this for me. You see, the grace of the father makes religious people angry. Father, why are you being so good to them? And they've been filthy, filthy sinners. Look at all I have done. But what the older son fails to realize is that being in the father's house has nothing to do with performance. 
It's all about the bloodline. Fathers don't take care of their kids because of uh, what they can get from their kids. They take care of their kids just because they're a father and they love their kids. He's committed to a relationship, not because of performance or what can be done for him. The commitment is blood deep. And so for rebellion and religion, the door that Jesus is, here's what he offers. He offers us something better. Jesus offers us life. The door through which we come in through eternal life is not religion or rebellion. But for those who want no boundaries, those who want to just rebel, what does Jesus give us? He gives us himself. You see, it's not just about rules, but it's about a close relationship. What did Jesus say? The sheep hear his voice. And the sheep, he knows each sheep by name and he leads them out. Says they won't follow a stranger, but they follow the voice of the shepherd. You see, shepherds knew their flocks. You see, shepherds would get in big fields together and they would have a bunch of shepherds and hundreds of sheep, but not every sheep belonged to every shepherd. And so what would happen is the, the, the shepherd would call out. He would have a whistle. He would have a sound. He would give forth a noise that was unique to him. And all the sheep are around eating in the pasture. And once the shepherd gives out his, his sound, the sheep that belong to him, they pop their heads up like this. And they look around. They start looking for the shepherd because those sheep know that particular shepherd's voice. And they're going to follow the shepherd. You see, the shepherd knows the flock. He, he, he knows you. He'll call you by name. And he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He doesn't want to hinder you with rules and boundaries. The only reason he gives us boundaries, the only reason he gives us ways and norms to live by is because he wants what's best for you. He came to give you a super abundant life. And for the religious, Jesus offers us, offers us a gift. Not something we have to perform for, but a gift. Jesus says, if you only knew the gift of God that I have for you, if you only knew the life, you could have a super abundant life, eternal life. Your approval with God has nothing to do with your performance. He loves you. You're his son or his daughter. He loves you. Jesus is committed to satisfying your deepest desires by thrilling you with himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says this is, this is the ultimate. How do we know if we're getting into religion and not staying in that passionate relationship with Jesus? It's when we no longer are amazed at God. We're no longer amazed at the love of the Father. You see, the older son, instead of being amazed at the grace of the Father, he was mad at the grace of the Father. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, the ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of amazement at the grace of God. I want this to be a house that when people come through the door, that they meet the real door, that is Jesus. That when people come through the door, we're not offering them man-made religion, but we're offering them super abundant life. And Jesus is the door to that. And so I believe we need to open the door for Jesus. I believe Jesus is the door that people find life. We gotta proclaim that gospel. But here's the last one. I believe Jesus is going to open doors of opportunity for our church. I'm believing for Jesus to open up opportunities for our church. You see, when you are about the Father's business, when you pray, when you evangelize, 
when you follow the Holy Spirit, when you're discipling the next generation, when you're building the kingdom of God, I believe God will open up doors of opportunity. And I'm not talking about selfish opportunity. I'm talking about opportunities for the kingdom to come. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about opportunities, but it was never about selfish ambition. It was always about the opportunity for the kingdom of God to come. Over and over again, he talks about, I pray that I have an open door of effectiveness to preach the gospel. There's an open door of faith for the Gentiles right now. I mean, over and over again, open doors are opportunities to take the gospel further. Revelation 3, 7, Jesus is speaking to the church at Philadelphia. This is what he says to them. The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens doors that no one will shut and who shuts doors that no one can open. I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. And I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus tells this church first, I'm the one who has the key of David. And if you want to know the context, where does this, the key of David, what's Jesus talking about? Actually, you have to go all the way back to the Old Testament. You have to go to Isaiah chapter 22. And there's a story about two guys, Shebna and another guy named Eliakim. You see, Shebna was a steward or ruler over the royal house. This was the, to be a steward or ruler over the royal house was like being the prime minister. It's the top level that you can be in the state without being the king or the queen. You're the prime minister. You're not the king or the queen. You're the prime minister. You're second in line. And this prime minister's name is Shebna. And Shebna, at a moment when Jerusalem citizens are in crisis, they're, they're making a last-ditch effort and stand because there's some invaders coming in. The Assyrians, they're coming, and Jerusalem is about to fall. And what he is doing when Jerusalem is about to fall, he's actually going and checking on, carving out for himself an elaborate mausoleum. He's preparing a tomb for himself in a royal cemetery. And you might think, well, that's, who cares? Well, God cares. God gets angry about it. You see, because a tomb is, is it's about the importance of a person. And, and Shebna, he wanted to guarantee his future rec- recognition by building sel- himself a respectable monument in Jerusalem. This is basically what it is. Shebna was more worried about his name than he was about the kingdom and the people of the kingdom of God. So the Lord says, you know what, Shebna, I'm fixing a t- I'm, I'm driving you out. You have tried to exalt yourself and to make yourself great, but I'm driving you out. And instead, I'm going to appoint a man named Eliakim to your position. And I'm going to give him authority. And this is what the Lord says. I'm giving him the key of David. And that represents authority to open, shut doors. Eliakim was, he, it says that he'll be a father to the people of Jerusalem. He'll care for them sacrificially. And God calls Eliakim my servant. You see, when God says someone is my servant, he attributes to that person high honor. He asserts to that person, you know, this is someone who will serve me and I will honor them because they serve me. So look at the difference between Eliakim and Shebna. For us today, we can either be a Shebna 
or an Eliakim. People like Shebna are people that are more interested in their name, their power, their ambitions, their dreams, and their goals rather than God's. Or we can be a people like Eliakim. The world doesn't need any more people that are trying to be great. The world needs more people like Eliakim that simply just want to serve. I heard a man of God say it like this one time. He said, when I was younger, I used to say, I want to do great things for God. That seems, that seems cool. Yeah, I want to do great things for God. But he said, now I've changed. Now I've realized I don't want to do great things for God. He says, now I just want to do things for a great God. Where are you putting the greatness today? Where are you putting your ambitions today? Is it about you or is it about the great God who loves us and saved us? And as a church, listen to me, I don't want to build a great church. I want to build a church that serves the city. I don't want to build a great name for ourselves. The church doesn't, Chattanooga doesn't need another church that's trying to take it over. What it needs is a church that's willing to get down on its hands and knees and wash the feet of the community. We are here to serve. And this is what Jesus is addressing in Revelation. He's saying, Philadelphia, you're like Eliakim. It's, it's, you're like an Eliakim church, and this is what I will do for you because you have decided just to serve. Jesus says, you don't have a lot of power. You don't have political power. You don't have economic power. You don't have social power. They were a small church facing extinction. But you know what? You don't have to have a lot of power because here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to open a door that no one has the power to even shut. I'll open doors for you, even though you can't open them for yourself. He tells them, you've kept my word. This church was faithful to God's word. The words of Jesus are spirit and life when it would have been expedient for the outward circumstances to deny the words of Jesus and go along with the flow of culture. The church in Philadelphia holds strong to Jesus's words. And Jesus said, because you kept my word, now I'm going to keep you. I'll keep you from this hour of testing that's coming upon the whole world. He said, you did not deny my name. He said, you weren't seeking a name for yourself, but you were concerned with the glory of my name. When speaking and proclaiming the name of Jesus was enough to get you killed, you would have rather died physically than to deny my name. And because of that, I'm giving you a name. I'm writing my name on you. You'll always have access and proximity to me. Listen to me, Crossing Church. We might not be the most powerful people, but we will have heaven's power behind us. We might not have a life of ease, but we have the words of life and the superabundant life that only Jesus can give. We may not be the most popular or influential or have the biggest name, but we have a name that is above every other name. Jesus promises to stand behind the church at Philadelphia. They've opened the door to Jesus, and now Jesus is opening the door for them. And what is this door about? The open door is about God using the church to play a role in the conversion of those around them. And it will culminate in the conversion of the nations. I'm asking God for open doors in 2022. I'm asking God for a new day for the crossing, a new door. You know, this message is, is specifically that last scripture about God opening doors in Revelation, it actually holds a special place in my heart because that scripture actually was a defining scripture for my parents. My dad was a pastor. 
uh, in Indianapolis, Indiana. He took a church on in Indianapolis, Indiana, and he was going through a very difficult time. He took over the church, and unbeknownst to him, the church was in just a mess financially. Put it this way, there, the church owed more money every month than was coming in every month. That's a problem. <laughs> That's a big problem. And man, he was just crying out to God one day, just saying, God, what, what's going to happen? What am I going to do? And he said the Holy Spirit just came on him in a powerful way. And he said, I don't really understand what you're trying. I know you're moving, but I don't understand what you're trying to say. And my dad said, I did something I've never done. I said, God, I'm going to open my Bible. I want you to speak to me. And he, my dad opened his Bible and he landed on that verse. I've given you the key of David. I will open doors that no one else can open for you. I'll shut doors that no one else could shut or open. So God spoke to him. And then later, he was in a service, a big service, and there was an evangelist that was in town. And there was a prayer line, and the evangelist began to prophesy. And the evangelist began to say, he began to quote this scripture, Behold, I give you the key of David. I'll open doors that no one can shut. I'll shut doors that no one can open. And the evangelist singled out my dad and said, that word is for you. God confirmed this word in his heart. The Lord said, I'm not going to give you the next 10 years. I'm just going to give you the next step. And here was what the next step was that he gave my dad. He said, you're going to give your way out of this problem. <laughs> See, God makes no sense to us sometimes. Okay, God, I don't have enough money to pay the bills, but you want me to give. Okay. But he obeyed. And through that, eventually my dad got connected with a missionary from Thailand. His name was Somnik. And we started giving faithfully as a church to Somnik. And can I tell you that God turned that church around? There was a half-finished sanctuary that was in a ton of debt. But before we left that church, we had a finished sanctuary we were in a good place financially. There was a move of God happening. People were getting saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. It was a mighty move of God. And then God moved us here to Tennessee. And you see that scripture of God opening doors, it's still applied here in Tennessee. It was still a thing that God was moving within my parents' heart. And they began to realize that it wasn't about just one place, but it was about the kingdom and all places. That God had called them to build the kingdom. And what God started in Indianapolis, even God's continuing here at the Crossing Church. It started with one missionary, but now our church gives to missionaries on almost every continent. Millions of dollars have gone out to the kingdom, for the kingdom. And you see, when God can find someone who is going to be about the kingdom, when God finds someone who's going to open the door and let the king of glory come in, then God will say, I'll open doors for you. And I'm believing God to open doors. I'm thankful for where our church has been. I'm thankful. You know, I think about the three crosses out by I-75. And you know what? That was a vision of my parents. And it was from the scripture. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all people, all people unto me. And so those crosses sit there every single day. Thousands of people drive by and see those crosses. And that was something the Lord started well, I don't think the Lord's finished with all people. I think he's ready for the next phase of all people. 
And so because of your faithful giving, because of your faithful generosity, because you've been a great church, I believe God's moving us, myself in the council, I believe God is moving us towards the next phase of projects around here at the church. And I'm excited to say that I believe it's time for the Crossing Church to get a new front door, like physically on our location, on our building. I believe it's time for us to get a new front door. And it's time for us to swing open wide a new front door so all people can come in and receive from God. Hey, please watch this video. Revelation 7, 9 says, There before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. God wants us to see His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He wants us to taste heaven on earth and to bring His kingdom where we are. His dream is to see all people gathered together and worship with one purpose and one voice. We are a church where we pursue God's presence, grow in Christ's image, and share the hope of Jesus with all people. It's God's vision that all people be saved. The crosses were put up on I-75 so all people driving on the interstate will have hope that Jesus saves. Now, the next phase is to have a new front door, a warm, inviting space for all people to come into. Right now, there is no clear entrance into our sanctuary. In fact, there are eight different doors to enter. It's easy for people to be lost or confused rather than welcomed. A new front door will be a clear indicator to everyone where they should enter. This brand new 4,000 square foot space will be a place for people to connect with each other. We all know the church is not a building, but we believe in building community, camaraderie, and a connection in the body of Christ. Imagine an inviting space filled with seating and tables for all people, young and old, to have meaningful conversations. The new expansion will also include an elevator where the elderly and handicapped will have easy access to the second story sanctuary. There will be no more stairs to climb or steep incline ramps to worry about. The older generation has given so much into this church and mission projects around the world. Now it's time to give back to them. On the other end of the spectrum, we will have a proper nursing mother's room so mothers will not have to walk a long distance to find a place to feed their babies. And a kids check-in that will be clear and simple for parents when they arrive. We will also update our outdated lighting and sound systems. Our current lighting runs off an old dimmer that is only serviced by one company in America. It's time for an upgrade in our audio as well. We want to have every corner covered with crisp, even audio so the gospel message can be clearly understood and accepted. And finally, the wait is over. Say goodbye to long lines before and after service. We will add several new stalls and more than double both men's and women's restrooms in our upstairs lobby. It's time for all people to come together. We are going to swing this new front door wide open so all people can experience all God has for them here at the Crossing. Hey, I hope you are super pumped. I'm so excited. I hope you can see it with me, the vision of putting a new front door 
for all people, for our church. I believe God is calling us into the next phase. He's calling us into the next thing. And I believe he's going to provide for us. And let me say this. It's not about a building. It's not about a building. It's what happens when people get inside the building. You know, last week, a family contacted me and they said it was a struggle to get to church last week, like a fight. They didn't even really want to come, but they persisted and they came anyway. See, they're facing some things within their family and they're facing physical problems and they've just been in a war. They've been in a battle. And last Sunday, it came to a head. They didn't want to be at church, but they came anyways. And But while they were here, I'm telling you, the Lord came down and moved. They came feeling just depleted. And they told me, we left feeling full and assured in hope. What is that? That's when people of God gather and they come and they worship and God lifts us up and strengthens us. And you know, it's not about the building, but it's about what happens when we get in the building. We believe this is a house where people are going to be saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit. So I, I have to let you know in April, I'm going to come back to you in April and I'm going to be giving more detail on this project. And I'm going to be giving, you know, I know many of you will have questions in April. We're going to come and give you more details. That way uh, we can begin to move forward with the project. So be looking for that in the month of April, more details so we can move forward with this all people project. Church, he's called us to be a people, a church for all people. I love you. I'll see you soon. Uh, you can join us nine or 11 live in the room or 10 o'clock right here on Virtual Church. Be blessed.